0: Welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here. We've been engaged in a uh, sermon series over the past several weeks. Uh, We're going to continue that series this morning. did want to give you an update this morning. Thank you so much for praying for my daughter, 38 years old, and she has now had her second open heart surgery. It went as well as possible. Uh, The doctor was just super, super pleased. Congratulated her when she got out of it, which is kind of strange. I would have, I would have thought you congratulate the doctor, but, uh, uh, she is three days later. She is up. She's walking. She's eating. She is, uh, doing bodily functions that I would prefer not to talk about online because I'm positive that it would go viral and I don't want that. Today we're going to continue um, talking about the signs in the book of Mark. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where John tells us why he wrote about the signs. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, in addition to the ones that are recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So the title of our sermon series, Believe and Live. Um, Now, a couple of weeks ago, Chris Williams uh, talked to us about the importance of context. We're going to look at that this morning. We are going to look at the fourth sign. Just a quick review. Remember the first three signs? Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus healed the official's son. And then last week, Jesus healed a lame man. Now we get to the fourth sign. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with what amounts to a little boy's lunch. And we're going to hop back to John chapter 2 to look at the context of what's going on here. But let's take a look at John chapter 6. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. Now, he has just healed the lame man, He now moves over into a new region. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw him do the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? But he was testing Philip. For he already knew what he was going to do. So, first clue here, we get an idea of what Jesus is actually doing when he feeds the 5,000. Yes, he meets a physical need of the crowd. But he's doing this as an object lesson. He wants to teach The disciples and Philip, one of the disciples, something. Well, Philip replied, gee whiz, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. I mean, figure it out, 5,000 people. You figure five bucks a pop. So we're talking, what, $25,000 just for the men? And it doesn't even mention the women and the children. We know there were kids there. Because it's a little boy's lunch that Jesus takes. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Well, what good is that with this huge crowd? And Jesus said, well, have everybody sit down. and you begin to hear the music in the back of your head. (laughs) Something big is going to happen. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. And then he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. So Jesus takes a basket, and he takes this little boy's lunch, which consists of five, it says loaves. It's probably more like biscuits, like dinner rolls, and then two fish. Now, they were probably more like sardines. I mean, after all, it's a little boy's lunch. So I looked, and I found bread. And I found fish <laughs> fish probably wasn 't quite as big as this, but Jesus took the baskets and he took the loaves, and he he had five loaves and twelve baskets, so you do the math he he broke the loaves into little pieces and he dropped them in the bottom of the basket. Then he took the the fish, and he broke them into six pieces, put a little piece into the bottom of each basket, handed a basket to the disciples, and then he says, we got 5,000 people here, guys. Feed them. (laughs) And I can kind of see Peter take the basket, look in the basket, in the bottom of the basket, there's this little tiny there's there's a mouthful of fish and maybe a couple of chews of bread, and he takes the basket, and Jesus says, Go feed him." So Peter walks up to the first guy and hands him over the basket, and he says, There's not much, but uh, you know, you can maybe." take the edge off. and The guy reaches in the basket and he pulls out a handful of bread and a handful of fish. Peter looks in the basket and there's a little tiny piece of fish in there and a couple of pieces of bread. And he goes to the next guy and same thing. He reaches in and he pulls out fish and bread. And the third and the fourth. And finally, all 5,000 eat. And they're full. Then Jesus says, well, we want to be ecologically conscious, so uh, let's not just leave the stuff laying around. Go pick up the leftovers, and they filled every basket. I think if there had been 30 disciples, they would have had 30 baskets full. Jesus wanted every disciple to see that everybody had enough. They picked up the pieces, they filled 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, the miracle itself is incredible. It is absolutely unbelievable what Jesus does here. But I want to pay attention to what comes next. Look at verses 14 and 15. When the people saw him do this miraculous sky, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet that we've been expecting. And Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king. And he slipped away in the hills by himself. And what we come to find out is he spends all night in prayer. Well, Jesus on several occasions, spends all night in prayer. When he does, he has a big decision in front of him. And he wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing. So what is it that he's doing? What does it mean that they came and they wanted to take him and force him to be their king? What does it mean that they believed in him? Well, Thanks, Chris. we got to go back and see the context. The context of this uh, passage goes all the way back to chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2, at the very end of the chapter, Jesus cleanses the temple. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, Sheep and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So Jesus made a whip from some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins, over the floor. He turned over their tables. And then, going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Get out! Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus drove them out because they had... Twisted what the temple was supposed to be. The temple was supposed to be a place where they would come for worship, and especially during the Passover time. It was supposed to be a place where they could come, worship the Lord. Remember how he had dealt with them all through history. But they turned it into a marketplace. So he drove them out. But again, It's what comes right after this that's important to us. Because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust Him. Literally, many began to believe in Him, but Jesus didn't trust them. Literally, they believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Wow. So we have people who believe in Jesus. We have people who trust in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't trust them back because he looks in their heart And he sees why they are believing in him. And it's not for the right reason. Now, what this means is that we have in John the forming of three types of people. We have those who believe. That's great. In fact we have examples of those who believe we have the disciples at Cana in Galilee who believe we have in John 4 the Samaritan woman who comes to Jesus and goes away and tells everybody about Jesus because she believed we have the official whose son is healed at the end of John 4 but we also have those who reject. And we have examples of those too. We have the Pharisees and the scribes who just from the very start, they don't believe in Jesus because they refuse to believe in Jesus. They see the same signs that the ones who believe see. But they say no. He doesn't meet our expectations. And so, no, we're not going to believe. Zach told us last week about a lame man who was healed and then turned Jesus over to the authorities. He's one of the ones who reject Jesus. But there's a third group, and John lays out this third group. There's a group of those who sort of believe. Now, they kind of believe, but there's a problem. And we get examples of them too, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He's a prominent Pharisee. He comes to Jesus at night. That's significant because he's hiding Not from Jesus, but from the crowds. He doesn't want the crowds to know that he comes to talk to Jesus. And he doesn't want the crowds to hear what he's going to say to Jesus. Because you see, Nicodemus sees the signs and he believes that Jesus is something special. But he is not yet willing to put his reputation on the line. He has too much prestige as a Pharisee, and he doesn't want anybody else to know how he feels about Jesus. And then we see the 5,000 who are fed. Now, everything around the feeding is significant. First of all, they're in the wilderness. Yeah, that's significant because there's no place. The nearest Kroger was a good, you know, 15, 20 miles away. They, they, they couldn't just run to Kroger and buy a bunch of stuff. They were in the wilderness. They couldn't go fish because how you got to fish for enough fish in one catch to feed 5,000? They were in the wilderness. Just like Israel was in the wilderness when they left Egypt. And Moses led the people out of Egypt and then gave them manna in the desert. He divinely provided food for them. And Jesus divinely provided food for the crowd. And the people in the crowd say, Yeah! Yeah! This is it. He's the one. He's a miracle worker. He's going to rally the people. And then we can lead the fight against Rome. Let's take him and make him our king. And then we can do whatever we want. We can fight Rome, we can beat Rome. We can win. You see, Nicodemus, he wanted to put Jesus in a tight, comfortable little box. One where his image of the Messiah would fit. The crowd, they believed in Jesus, but they wanted Jesus on their own terms. They wanted him To do what they wanted. So Jesus leaves them, and he spends the night alone in prayer. He says, Father, what do I do? And the next day he knows what he has to do. So John chapter five, verse twenty-four. Jesus goes to the crowd. And he says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me not because I, not because you saw the sign. If you'd really seen the sign, you'd believe in me. You want to be with me because I fed you, literally, it says here, because your bellies are full I like that terminology. Jesus says you're here because of what you got out of it, not because you really believed. A couple verses later, John 6 28, they show that they understood what Jesus is saying. The reading between the lines, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be your puppet. You want me to be your king because you want to fight Rome. I'm not going to do that. So they go to Jesus and they say, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Paraphrase, they look at Jesus and say, show us the tricks. Show us how you did it. If you won't do it for us, then just show us how you do the tricks. And we'll do them. Well, Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one he sent. Believe in me. Truly, honestly, fearlessly. Believe in me. They don't want to do that. And they let him know. In fact, you know what they say? Show us a sign so that we might believe in you. How about feeding 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch? Would that qualify as a sign? But they are now rejecting the sign because they are rejecting him. So Jesus says something so off the wall that they can't take it. Jesus says, you know what? You want... Bread from heaven. I'll tell you what, I am the bread of life. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer to the world so that the world may live, is my flesh. And they go nuts. How in the world can you say that? You're the bread from heaven. We're supposed to eat your flesh? What do you think we are, cannibals? So Jesus goes on. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I'll raise that person at the last day. And man, they are wild now. They start saying, you're demon possessed. Now, this is the guy that at the start of the conversation, they wanted to make their king. Now they're rejecting him and saying, you're demon possessed. Get out of here. We'll stone you. We'll kill you. And John, with his tendency towards understatement, said at that point. Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Jesus spent all night in prayer for this. What do I do, Father? And the answer was, destroy him. Tell him the truth. But tell him a truth that you know they're not going to accept, that they cannot accept drive them away because you're better off with 12 who follow and truly believe than with 5000 who sorta believe then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked them you got to leave too Simon Peter bless his heart speaks up for the crowd speaks up for the twelve and he says, Lord where would we go? He basically says, Lord are you asking me do I understand what you've just said? I don't get it. Eat your flesh, drink your blood. Are we going to leave? Where would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe. We know that you're the Holy One of God. Simon Peter basically says, I don't understand. And I know that the problem is in me, not in you. So I'll stick it out. I'll stay here. I'll keep following until eventually I do understand. Bob and I just got back from Colombia. Linda, Linda and I lived in Colombia for 17 years. While we were there, part of that time, a wonderful part of that time, we lived in the country. We lived on the side of a mountain. And on Sunday afternoons, uh, churches would meet on Sunday mornings. They didn't meet at night, typically, so... Uh, Our seminary staff would get together at night. On Sunday afternoons, we'd get home from church and we'd pack a picnic basket and we'd walk up the side of the mountain where we would sit in a clearing, look out over the city of Medellin. At that point, three million people, now four to four and a half million. We'd find wild mountain blackberries and we'd pick blackberries and that would go on our cereal It was wonderful. We had one child at that point and one particular Sunday afternoon we started walking up the mountain. We decided to go a little bit different trail just to see a different part of that side of the mountain and we came across something like this. A barbed wire fence And a slope leading up. Now I looked at it, and I looked at what we were carrying, and I thought, this could be a problem. Now, I told Linda, here, I can get the bottom wire. So I picked up the bottom wire, and she shimmied under the barbed wire fence and got well above me, and then I handed her the picnic basket. She set it down. I handed her our son. She held him. And back then, at least, I was a fairly athletic guy. I said, I'll I'll just jump over the barbed wire fence. And I don't know. The grass was wet. The sun was in my hair. The wind was in my eye. I found myself sitting on top of a barbed wire fence. And I made a medical discovery. You cannot sit on top of a barbed wire fence for very long. It is uncomfortable. You're going to go one way or the other, but you're going to go. That's what Jesus did. He looked at the people and he said, you're sitting on a barbed wire fence. Get off the fence. There were people who sort of believed. People like Nicodemus who, he really wanted to follow Jesus. But he was afraid of what his friends would say if they found out just how seriously he wanted to follow Jesus. Get off the fence. Now the good news is that by the end of the book of John, when Jesus is crucified. It's Nicodemus that comes up and takes his body. He got off the fence. He eventually came around and said, no, no, no. I am a follower. I'll take his body. Even if the 12 have run away, which they did, he said, I'll stand up. Is that you? Yeah, you want to follow Jesus, but you're afraid of what your friends, afraid of what your neighbor, afraid of what your family, afraid of what your coworkers might say if they find out just how deeply you want to follow Jesus. Get off the pins. Or you might be like the 5,000. They followed Jesus because of what was in it for them. They followed Jesus because they thought he could be the miracle worker that they needed to rally the troops and fight against Rome. They wanted to follow Jesus because they thought that Jesus would give them a good bank account, home, friends. They were looking for what was in it for them. This past week, my daughter had open-heart surgery. There was a very real chance of death. It was not an easy time. But I had to get to the point that I said, Lord, whatever, we'll get through it. I would not have been able to do that without him. We follow Jesus not because of what we can get out of it. We follow him simply because he is the son of God and he calls us to himself. I wish that every person I prayed for who's sick would be healed, but they're not. I wish that every person who went to the Lord said, help me get a job would get it, but they don't. That's not why we follow. We follow because He is who He is. He is God, and He calls us. Now, when we follow Him, when we do what He asks us to do, we are healthier. We don't squander our money on idiocy. Things do go better, but that's never a promise. We follow him because he is God. And he calls to us and says, Follow. Today, if you want to learn to live love, go like Jesus. Get off the fence, make your decision. Follow. And if you decide not to follow, quit playing the game. Walk away. Jesus preferred the 12 who really followed to the 5,000 who were playing the game. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast.